welcome, welcome, welcome back to the ninth episode of The Axed Effect, a podcast where you can join me, Tim, and me, Alex, as we get together occasionally and try to find ourselves by exploring the things we care about. Isn't that so? Yeah. Have you found yourself yet? <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. Same. But I think we're, we're getting there slowly but surely. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a, it's a step-by-step process, really. Every episode, we yeah. get an inch closer and about a meter further away. <laughs> That's some math you're about to do there. <laughs> <laughs> so, we have been... We have been currently on an involuntary hiatus, hiatus, if you will. Um, that's because, as we do from time to time, yeah, as we do from time to time. No, mostly it's been it's been my fault because I started to to join the working population, and I work very long days, and I'm very exhausted when I come home, um, and there's little time to to spend on you know finding yourself remotely with one of your best pals when you only have a few hours left in the day and you really just want to lie in bed and sleep so we're back we're going to try and come back more more regularly to this don't don't do that don't do that we're going to try we, we... we're going to try i i'm okay let, let me rephrase i will try to make myself available more often for this that's 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 all I'm gonna say. I'm gonna speak for myself I, here. I will make no such guarantees. I've never made any guarantees. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, um, I'm not sure whether I've like ever kicked any of our formats off. It kind of feels like I haven't. So it's a unique position for me to to get ourselves going in into this ninth episode of our baby. Um. And I, I was thinking that we should talk about something that I spend a great spent a great deal thinking about over the last year, which is guilty pleasures. Um, and preliminary to this podcast, I asked you whether you had any guilty pleasures, and I think you you had to like think about it for a few moments, and you came to the conclusion that you didn't have any. Is that right? Or mo- mostly not not any. Well, I I struggle to come up with uh, examples on the spot. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I thought it was a really interesting topic, but again, I wasn't really couldn't really come up with with examples in in my life um, for it. I I think um, since then I came up with a couple like loose. They are just loosely. Not really related, but I, I'm just interested in what you were planning on, uh, you know, on doing, and and the examples that you were, uh, what you wanted to talk about to me. Yeah. So for me, um, for me, guilty pleasures. Maybe maybe I should start by kind of loosely defining, and loosely is gonna be. You know the, the the key parameter of of this segment of the episode, I think, because everything I'm gonna talk about is vague as hell because I haven't fully made my mind up about it yet. But, um, yeah, guilty pleasures in the sense that um, there are things that I derive pleasure from, but 
I don't really want to, you know, say them out loud. It's interesting to me that you, that you kind of, at, that your first reaction was that you couldn't really come up with anything on your end because I think that either makes you, makes you just, no, no, not either. I think that just must mean that you either really don't have any or have, have a lot less than I do, or you're just extremely confident and self-assured about all the things that you like and enjoy and just, you know, don't shy away from from saying them out loud. Because that's kind of what I think a guilty pleasure is. It's something that you take pleasure from, but you're, I don't, because ashamed is too harsh of a word, but you don't really want to, you know, admit that you like that stuff for whatever reason, right? So whether it's kind of, you know, the idea that you're not supposed to like it or it's this kind of like toxic masculinity or like men don't like that kind of crap or something. Like there's there's a ton of reasons, some more serious than others, I think, um, from just being, you know, plain old ashamed for liking something. Well, that's probably toxic masculinity, isn't it? If you're ashamed that you like something, I mean, it de- depends on depends on the topic. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are um, a lot of reasons for why you would think that you sh- you aren't supposed to like something, right? Some some might be, as you said, related to you know some sense of masculinity or whatever, and mm. some might have uh, you know a- an- another reason, like uh, it's for children or it's. Yeah. Stupid, you know, it's it's a low effort or whatever. It's I think there are there are various reasons. I agree. So the reason I was um the reason I brought this up initially is because I take enjoy or like I find enjoyment in a lot of things lately that or over the no. I have always, you know, found found pleasure in certain things that I felt was atypical for for me whatever that means like i just felt like it's weird that i like it and i realize that's much more me than other people and i had the opportunity last year to take a you know a, a more critical look at myself so I, in the in the meantime i i also took a look at these you know aspects of my character where i was like huh i like these things why am i ashamed or why do i you know don't take pride in liking these things um and when I say these things, I mostly mean things like music and movies and TV series and stuff. So I'm going to try and come up with with a good um, with a good example, which is going to be a bit difficult. Um, but maybe to pick it up, um, I want to throw it back for not throw it back. That's when you. Yeah, I want to I want to <laughs> take us back to our uni days um where you and I took great pleasure in listening to fabulous music by an artist called Vanessa Carlton for example or where we were jamming on music by um Big Yellow Taxi. So that's music that was kind of created around I believe the early 2000s late 90s and it has these like hyper crisp studio arrangements and these crazy catchy pop melodies and it has this weird 
late 90s, early 2000s carelessness about it, just as a vibe. And for some reason, I got really stuck on that type of music. So I spent a great, great deal of time listening to, you know, late 90s, early 2000s music. And that sent me down a rabbit hole where I ended up somewhere in the 90s and 80s. Um, with music like I Love You Always Forever by Donna Lewis or um, Sixpence None the Richer, just to, 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 to name a few artists here. And these are things that I had to actively go out and look for because I didn't know the artist behind it, but I knew the song and it was music that you know was played on the radio when I was a kid. And it's not really... Like, I don't know many people my age, especially not dudes who jam to this type of stuff. And I always was like, ha, huh, I better listen to this through my headphones and not really, you know, blast it out loud so other people hear it. Um, and well, that's, that's, just a, uh, that's just good advice in general. Don't blast <laughs> your music in public. That's, uh... <laughs> I meant it more like, I meant it more like, um, yeah, in a in a domestic kind of setting or something. For some reason, there was music. Well, with music, maybe less than than other pop culture mediums. I've, I'm I've become more and more unapologetic when it comes to this. So I would listen to this in my flat and stuff, and I didn't really care when people come in. But still, I was like, huh. I wonder. I wonder what that person thinks about me that I listen to. You know like sappy love songs from the 90s and 80s. Um, for some reason, like a certain part of me just felt like, oh, I don't want to be perceived in that way. And I didn't really know what that way meant, just that it made me kind of insecure. And I don't I don't really know why. And I just realized that that was kind of silly. So maybe the takeaway from that is a bit that my guilty pleasures are, you know, slowly changing into not guilty pleasures, but... Yeah, that early 2000s music is really a, a good example for that. But also, you know, sappy 80s music, like early Peter Gabriel music. Um, In Your Eyes is a great example. Um, or I've been listening to a bunch of, God, what's her name? Um, Alanis Morissette. Because I watched a Foo Fighters movie and then the drummer from the Foo Fighters used to be the drummer for Alanis Morissette and they were playing some music. I'm like, huh, that's kind of great, the music that they were playing. So I went on this Alanis Morissette rabbit hole, <laughs> which I don't ever, you know, didn't ever picture myself going down. Um, but yeah, there's, a, there's just a lot of music that I listen to that I didn't expect I would like, but that, um, that I get a lot of enjoyment out of. So... Like if you told me about a year ago that I'd unapologetically be listening to like any Lennox, I would have probably told you you're insane. Um, I get what I get what you're talking about, and I think everybody knows that feeling. However, I, however, I do think that I I don't know if uh, I mean I have these. Uh, songs and artists as well that I occasionally occasionally listen to and that I occasionally enjoy very much and mm. that's just outside of of maybe what I 
most uh, my general taste right um and as you said like our we had the, a phase where we listened to a lot of late 90s early 2000 music but that i think that's everybody has that some in in his mid 20s where they go back to music that they listen uh, that that that's kind of the music that is on the radio when you first kind of Have, pay attention to what's on the radio and that's yeah. like the first kind of music that you remember like that's um that's music from when you are six to eight nine ten right that's around that range where you yeah. first really perceive what's on the radio and i think that's that just sticks with you in a certain way um and i think that's just a, a little bit of nostalgia um in that in that sense right um, i mean there's there's the, the the bulk of nostalgia when you get older and then you listen to the music that you listen to in your youth like that's what our parents you know with the 80s for example right yeah um but i think there's also there's also a little bit of that with you know music that you listen to um by accident or more or, or involuntarily in that case mostly Because it's on, on the radio, maybe in the car when your parents drive or anything, mm. that's also a sense of nostalgia. Think in in a different way, but kind of similar, right? And I think that's that's uh, what, in a way it is. I think, yeah. Um, uh, for me, it was like um, li listening to some of those songs, um, and then, but critically for the first time, right? And it's like these are actually solid songs, right? Um, maybe these are so, some of the songs maybe you, you disliked back then and you're like, oh, this song is always on the radio and I already don't like it. Like, I'm eight years old, this song is already overplayed. I don't want to listen to this anymore. And then um, you get you go back to it like 15 years later and it's like, this is actually a really good song. Yeah. Um, uh, I think that's kind of what fueled that... Um, For me, like this particular example that you gave of both of us. Um, other than that, I don't. I think it's what you say. Um, I don't really feel guilt or guilty about these things, right? It's either I like something or I don't, and if I like it, maybe I'm not going to broadcast it like everywhere. Yeah, I mean, sure, there are. Um, <laughs> If I if I know that I that I get visitors, there's maybe music that I wouldn't put on, and there's music that I would put on, right? It's not that I would feel ashamed of like putting on the the '90s uh, playlist or anything, yeah, or like whatever example you just gave. But it's like there's music that I feel reflects who I am more, right? Right. And maybe that's more of the music that I would put on. Um, I think that's I, again. It's not. It's not really a sense of guilt because uh, objectively, there's nothing to feel guilty about. Oh yeah, I mean, objectively, that that that's the key takeaway from all. Like the the key spoiler, I think for for this segment is objectively the guilt part is just you know societal conditioning. It's an expectation of what we're supposed to like, whether that's been put on us externally or we kind of like cultivated that ourselves, I think. So I think you're you're absolutely right with this observation that you 
every, like everyone to a certain degree spends some time on being, you know, or, or spends some time on evaluating what kind of represents them to a certain degree. And I think music is such a distinct thing as somebody who cares, who cares about music and who's who who has music being a part of their identity. So yeah, I mean, the way that you put it, kind of, you know. What what does this music reflect on me if I play it to like to other people? That's certainly something that I thought about, and I think ultimately, um, I I didn't like the idea of certain things reflecting on me. Um, that I would sure. act, that I would actually you know like that I would have probably liked to listen to in um, you know in the presence of other people, um, and. That's I think that that's probably the most poignant poignant way to put uh, my idea of a of a guilty pleasure what you just said. So I would probably not have listened to oh, I'm sorry. I would probably not have listened to Vanessa Carlton or Natalie Imbruglia around certain people. Um Whereas like behind closed doors or with a specific group of people, like if we want to stay with our example, like we would have play I, I re- recall us listening to like playlists of that type of music just while Absolutely, we, while we yeah. were just hanging I out. I mean that's 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 uh, the context in which we listened to. I mean we didn't yeah. put on a Vanessa Carlton record. We just put on like some 90s playlist or something. And we're jamming. Like that was great. I honestly I honestly loved I still love listening to that music. I have a bunch of like Spotify playlists with that type of music exclusively. Yeah, sure. So absolutely, it's also a, it's just a great song. Song. Yeah, a thousand miles is the one that we're talking about, by the way. So, um, is there another song um, by Vanessa and, Carlton? I don't think there is. I mean, she must have made so much money off that one record that <laughs> it doesn't that it doesn't even matter. But I, I I read up on her once in the in the. Like during the high phase of our of our infatuation with her, um, or with that song. Oh, that's oh, that's stretching it a little bit, isn't oh, it? We were we were <laughs> there was there was a good few solid months where we were jamming on those songs. I re- I remember us sitting. I remember us sitting on the floor at a party from a friend at a friend's house, and you were playing. Um, uh, what's it called? For Big Yellow Taxi. Um, what's the what's the song called? God damn it! Um, Big Yellow Taxi is uh, a band, Breakfast I believe. Tiffany's? Yes, thank you. Yes, thank you. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Did you know that Big Yellow Taxi has um has a has a feature song with Vanessa Carlton? No, and it's one of their most famous ones, actually. Um, let me see if I find it what? real quick. Okay. Let me see if I find it. Give me one second. Oh, it's not. Sorry, Big Yellow Taxi is not the band. The band is Counting Crows. Um, oh, the first three seconds yeah, is gonna make you say like, "Oh, no, no, I, I do, I, I know that song, but Counting Crows is not the band that did Breakfast at Tiffany's, right? Yeah, I think you're, you're right. Deep Blue Something. Deep Blue Something. Counting Crows, Deep Blue Something. Oh, bands had great names. They had great names back then. Counting Crows. No, I think Deep Blue, Deep Blue Something and Big Yellow Taxi, that's uh, literally almost the same name. 
Yeah, uh, that explains your uh, my confusion. Confusion, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Either either way, you you get you get you get what I'm saying. Yeah, Big Yellow Taxi. I know that song. I didn't realize that there was uh, Vanessa Carlton on that track, though. Yeah. Once you hear it, you're like, oh, I mean, Counting oh, Crows. They had they had some they had some other songs as well, right? Yeah, I think it's what what I noticed about all of these bands is. I knew, oh yeah, Mr. I knew their songs from listening to them, but I neither knew neither title nor name of the band. And that has happened to yeah. me so often that songs that I've heard on the radio play for years and years and years and years in my childhood, up until like mid 2000s, that I never knew the artist. I never even knew the name of the song. That's also uh, oftentimes fascinating. Where like, wait, th this song is by the same artist uh, as this one. Yeah. It's like, um, that's always fun to uncover these things. Like fifteen years later, maybe, maybe because I think you kind of get my point with like guilty pleasure music. Um, we can we can kind of wrap the music part up and like maybe you know. <laughs> Transition. Oh no! Um, I, I wanted to to um, elaborate on some of the things that you said. Go for it. Where you said that um, music is a, a good way to cultivate your image, I would say. Yeah. You know, or to project an image. Absolutely. And I think that is absolute. I think um, maybe number one might be just appearance, yeah. like your quote unquote style or whatever, right? Clothing and that kind of stuff. And then I think number two is music. I, I think that's how powerful that is. And even those two go hand um, in hand. Like a lot of the times people... Oftentimes, oftentimes they do. A lot of the times, yeah. Like the, the reasons why I've initially had like my ears like pierced and stuff. That was because people that, you know, played music that I was listening to had that. So a lot of, yeah, I feel sure. like, I feel like a lot of the times people model their appearance after their role models in music. So, yeah, that's that's um, that's certainly true. And the other thing is that yeah, when we when we talked about um, you know the music that you want to play when other people are present, yeah. in a roundabout way, right? Um, ironically, I would say that uh, you know, especially with. <laughs> people like us I'm gonna say yeah. it's oftentimes that you that you are hesitant to play music that is objectively less offensive to the, to the people that are around you you know it, nobody would bat an eye if you put on a Vanessa Carlton record but Probably people not. like us would people like us would rather put on an album that is much more out there, right? Because that is um, that is kind of the image that you uh, want to project, right? That is uh, what you want to be about. You don't want to be about playing Vanessa Carlton, not because it's bad or because it's or people Cringy don't like it, but because yeah. it no, but because it is acceptable and it is maybe middle of the road, non-offensive, and that is kind of something that you want to avoid. You'd rather take the risk uh, of, you know, offending somebody's taste, with, but you you really want to have that payoff of, you know, the possibility of people thinking like, 
that dude has one interesting music taste, doesn't he? <laughs> right, that's what you're going for. You just, you just, you just jammed your fist right into all of my little insecurities. <laughs> I fully understand what you mean. Yeah, it's 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 a weird balancing act sometimes. I think, for example, when I'm ever, whenever I'm around my parents, or like whenever they are around me in my place, when they you know come come visit every once in a while. I have to really like carefully think about what kind of music I play because 90% of my music taste will offend them. I know that because they're just like not into the stuff that I'm listening to. So I make this deliberate effort to think of music that could be considered common ground for them and me, uh, them and myself. Um, exactly. And and then most of the time I end up choosing something that I just know they will like and I will not like as much. Um on the other hand, especially with peers like my age, that what you just described, that whole spiel of, oh, damn, like he has some interesting underground music taste and like, oh, that guy's interesting. Let me talk to that. Like, that's obviously part of the equation when I'm considering like, okay, do I put on Godspeed, you black emperor now? Or I'm gonna, should I, should I, is this more of a snarky puppy type situation? Or like maybe something more weird in terms exactly. of jazz or something? Like, like I find myself digging through my library and be like, what's the most interesting thing to like, spark a conversation about like music and like where I can kind of, you know, look prolific it in just my music seems taste. Sophisticated, right? Yeah. Or just yeah, not not even sophisticated, just like seem interesting. Right? Like I, I would I would Yeah, that's the same thing in that sense, I think. Yeah, probably. Probably. You just don't want to be considered super ordinary and be like, yeah, I really like David Guetta. Which, there's nothing wrong with liking David Guetta. <laughs> but No. But I I think that is the part about um um how you want to how do I want to phrase that as offensive as possible. I think there's something. Ab- <laughs> <laughs> I think there's something about um you know having music as a part of your identity mm-hmm. and as a hobby, um, and I think. That's something that not everybody does, right? Yeah. Um, everybody listens to me. Mu- everybody listens to music every now and then, um, involuntarily, voluntarily, yeah. whatever. But I think not everybody really cares about it uh, to the extent uh, that we do. Same, yeah. Right? Some like people care. No, I don't. I, there are certainly people that care about it more than we do, but there are also people that care less about, yeah, about yeah, it, I, right? I, I mean, and I think that is that is part of of yourself, the image about or that you have yeah. your yeah your identity, basically, right? Um, where you think like, oh, I I want I I am the guy that cares about music, so I can't play music that. That seems like I didn't put a lot of thought in it, right? I agree. Uh, the reason I just said people like us is because obviously we can only, you know, refer to ourselves in terms of that experience. And I think both of us are, you know, like spoiler, music is a huge part of our identity because that's what we think about. That's what we listen to. Like 90%, not not 90%, but a large part of our conversations. Like, hey, have you heard this band yet? Or like, have you, you know, have you checked out this record? Or like, you should... Um, or like just music news in general or whatever. Like we're not crazy fans or something, but it's just something that our attention gravitates to 
naturally, and that we have opinions Absolutely. on I, naturally. That's I, yeah, that's what I. That's why I said it's a hobby for me. I mean, um, there's almost nothing that I spend as much time on as uh, you know, listening to music, yeah. right, and thinking about music, um, and. That's you know, and and I think automatically, if you spend a lot of time doing something, then that's that's part of your image. You know, the the other music guy, somebody else is the uh, the sports guy. I don't know the the model train guy, the sports <laughs> guy, right? Um, <laughs> that's uh, yeah, and I think that then you have some kind of expectation of fulfilling that that uh, role, maybe right? Um, and then with but ironically, if you're with other people that are also quote unquote, you know, the music guy, then you're much more free to, as you, as we did, right? Just delve into all kinds of stuff, yeah. And without and being more with less of an expectation of projecting a certain image, right? That's really interesting. That's really interesting. That's something I think that has occurred to me only like in my peripheral vision, but. I kind of want to spend some time on that because I feel like for me it goes sure it goes like in the direction of both extremes either I you know am completely <laughs> relaxed and it's just like we can listen to the most annoying rap music to you know Vanessa Carlton or it becomes kind of a dick measuring contest where it's like you can only and exclusively listen to the weirdest shit with your with your friend um because it's kind of a, like a you have to constantly one up each other with who has the crazier music taste and who sure, has the yeah. who has the more you know the more elaborate new underground you know gem dug up and it just becomes this weird competition that nobody really acknowledges is a competition but it's always about like yeah Beating not not beating each other, but yeah, like I said, one upping it in terms of like the weirdness or the the musicality scale. We had this come up in, in a bunch of episodes where I felt like I had to, you know, give a disclaimer that I um consider myself sometimes not to be a musician. And I feel like some of those preconceived notions about myself come from that same place where it's just like some kind of like insecurity that I have to prove myself or that I don't want to be perceived as something that I'm not and I feel like that kind of has the same underlying you know attention or notion that happens when you when you're around people who constantly want to impress other people with their crazy music taste and i mean like actively impress right like oh this is so weird and like listen to this and like you i think you know you know where i'm going with this so on the one hand i i agree with you that most of my experience is like around other you know and now around other musicians and people who are crazy about music you can just you know be more free and more open about what you actually like and kind of you know be be a bit more unapologetic about it but sometimes it becomes this weird flex that I don't particularly enjoy if I'm honest. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um that's certainly all, always a possibility and you know the other the other side of the coin but that's always and these are people that I don't want to be around yeah. then, right? Yeah. Or if it's if it's friends of mine uh then then weirdly then i just 
don't want to talk about music. Yeah, to it's them, just right? zone out. Exactly. Um, it's then, just something then, that you uh, nope your way out of. Yeah, and it's just, you know, that's not part of our friendship then, you know? Yeah, I that's, agree. That's okay as well, I, I think. Um, sure. That's always, that's always, um, always a thing also between certain musicians. Sure. Um, Anyways, uh, but if, if before we close, you know, the music section of this discussion, which you tried to do earlier, <laughs> I think I want to, uh, there was, no, uh, there was one thing that I thought about, um, one album in particular mm. that came to my mind that I listened to quite a lot a couple of months ago. And I, I, Uh, I planned on bringing it up sooner or later on this podcast okay. anyway, in some in some form or fashion, and I think you could consider it a a guilty pleasure, and that's the album Silver Side Up by Nickelback. <laughs> Because I he said I, the N word. Um, he said the N word. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> All right. This Because is gonna, this I mean, is gonna get cut. This is gonna get cut. Back. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Um, keep keep talking. Nickelback. <laughs> yeah, um, obviously Nickelback uh, is one of the most. What's the what's a word to describe? Hey, what one of they the are. most frowned upon, hated bands. Frowned upon is a good. Good word. I mean, there's a reason for that, right? Is it's, there? Does, it doesn't... I think so, yeah. I think their later records are... They are tailor-made for radio play, right? There's, they're a, I would say they're a little low-effort, um, uninspired at times. Um I mean, they saw the chance to make a shitload of money and they took it. So, you know, you can't blame them. That's good for them. I mean, I agree. Success proves you right, I guess. I, I will never blame an artist for making money. I mean, I just don't listen to them anymore if I don't like it, right? I think that's just what it is. But Silver Side Up is, I think it's a good record. It's not, it's not a great record. It's not the, the, Great, th greatest thing that I I ever heard. Like it's not a 10 out of 10, but it's a good record. And I remember I specific specifically remember my dad owning two rock or metal albums when I was um young, right? And that was Silver Side Up and um, uh, Saint Anger by Metallica, right? Oh my god, these are the these are two albums that I like the two albums that I remember that my dad bought back in the day yeah um and i remember listening to both of them but it's especially silver side up a lot back in the day and i mean thinking about it might that might actually have uh, put me on my path to liking the music that i like nowadays this, this is like the first music that I remember like voluntarily seeking out, right? Putting on a CD yeah. in a record player, right? Not not what's on the radio. This is like 2001, I'm seven years old. Maybe it's 2002 or three after the album came out and I'm eight or nine, whatever. But this is like the first 
time I can remember putting on an, a record because I wanted to listen to mm. it, right? Um, and I mean, I you, there are some good songs on this. I mean, uh, How You Remind Me might be the most overplayed song of all time, yeah. but if it wasn't, it would still be a good song. Animals. And then there are some other... Animals is my on that record. Animals is on that record. It certainly is on the remaster. It's not. Of course it is. Oh, then it's some kind of. Oh bonus no, it's, it's all the right something. reasons. You're right. It's the it's, remaster. It's, no, no, no. You're right. It's it's all the right reasons oh, and not Silver Side Up. Yeah, that was the one after that, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. No, the second one after that. Um, they pumped out albums every two years. The second, the long road. Okay, they did right. Um, yeah, but I mean, the long road and all the right reasons. That's that's when you really real notice them going on that that track that they eventually you know went on their successful um, radio commercial type of stuff. That that's really where this kicks off. And there's there's elements of that on Silver Side Up. I think if you go back and listen to it, there's all there's song songwriting choices that. A clear foreshadowing of, of what's uh, going to happen later on, mm. but there's just some songs on there that are just really good. I think they actually have a lot of seven string uh, and baritone guitars on there that are really really low. That's I mean that was 2001. That's 20 years ago. That would that's not something that was done back then. Not by a not by like a commercial type rock band, yeah. Like if corn was corn was doing that, but not Nickelback, I think, in terms of the image. And there's just I think there's just some nice um, moments on there. Just uh, I don't know. I just I went back to it and listened to it a, a bunch of times a couple of months ago, and still enjoyed most of it. There's there's moments on it, especially like this southern rock um, thing. I think that's something that they really doubled down on later yeah. on. That southern rock uh, or the southern metal kind of uh, thing that just I don't, I can't get into at all, and I can't get into it on that record. But it's it's just a a little spice uh, on on some of the tracks and not a main part of their music as it might become later on, right? So yeah, I think that is. Might might be the most guilty pleasure album that that I listen to, I guess. Again, but this a lot of guilty pleasure is also like directly connected to nostalgia, right? And I think that's a common theme. Would you think like that? That's an interesting idea because I think not i i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's necessarily connected i think it can be because a lot of the times i think kids are about, a, a lot more unapologetic about the shit that they like um versus adults so if something sticks with you from your childhood on i don't think or at least if if something stuck from me you know from growing up as a kid up until now i don't think i'd be any ashamed of it um it's more like the things that i discover as an adult that I actually like them where I maybe had some preconceived notions that I didn't like it or I wouldn't like it or I'm not supposed to like it I feel that's for me where like the guilty pleasure thing kind of starts I think Nickelback is a double-edged sword um, in terms of you know the nostalgia thing because yes the nostalgia can play a part um, but it can also be a reason 
to kind of unapologetically enjoy it because you have a very personal reason for liking it. But the societal pressure, especially among other musicians, tells you to not oh, like yeah, Nickelback. Absolutely. And to not admit that you like Nickelback. Interestingly enough, because both of these records that you just mentioned or bands, you said mentioned Saint Anger um, by Metallica. Um, I think a lot of Metallica fans, if not the vast majority, would say that it's probably their least favorite album. It's the first record I ever bought with my own money. Um, and to this day, controversial take, I think is the best record Metallica ever put out. I think it's the most straightforward, okay, straightforward, <laughs> straightforward, fun record that they ever made. I love it. I still listen to it. Actually, two weeks ago, I rewatched um, the Some Kind of Monster documentary for the first time in probably 10 years. And it was really interesting to come back to that thing with a fresh set of eyes and not be a teenager watching that stuff. Um, yeah, weird experience. But I'm going to keep that, like, I'm going to keep that reserved for maybe another conversation. Um, other side, not on Nickelback, I used a lot of like different Nickelback songs when I was. Um, first starting to take playing the drums more seriously to figure out how to play double kick because mm. they had they had a bunch of like a lot of these like southern metal rock heavy metal crossover type things that they do have these relatively simple but for a beginner crazy sounding double bass parts um or at least some mm. fancy fast kick even if it's single pedal kick foot play type thing um, so I used a lot of that to get some speed and some oomph into my kicks. Um, I was listening to a lot of mm -hmm. that. I was also sure. listening to Dark Horse and um, All the Right Reasons um, a bunch of times because there were just songs on there that made me want to beat the hell out of my drums. Um, they're not necessarily amazing songs and they're still sung by a dude named Chad, but I had my fun with it. <laughs> So that's my two cents on Nickelback. <laughs> you know, Chad, Chad, Kruger, Chad Kroger, Kruger, whatever, seems by all accounts, seems to be, a, yeah, seems to be a really solid dude. I think. I mean, from, he has a, he has a lot hear. of self irony. I think, and I, I've seen like bits on Comedy Central where they where they wear like parts of skits that, and stuff. And that's um, maybe the the thing that I. That stuck with me the most revisiting that album. His vocal performance on this album is fucking amazing. He's it's not a bad so singer. Dirty. There's, there's. He is not a bad singer. Is an understatement. There's so much crit in there, and I think that's some. His. I think it's gotten a lot softer on the on the later records where it's um, and that's kind of what makes it uninteresting and kind of bland but on this record he he's really singing his heart out and it really really works for me um i remembered whatever. i remembered when their last record came out we were still in uni and we were still living in our university city um a record called feed the machine and i i as i saw that i was like hmm, that kind of rings a bell and i remember when they dropped the single feed the machine I sent that to you and I was like, holy shit, Nickelback is a gent band now because that song was super... Like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that. Do you recall that? Because I think 
I'm gonna take take a moment after this podcast and listen to that because I recall that being super fucking heavy and like distorted and probably like oh, seven absolutely. string action on it. Um, yeah. So this probably. has now become this has now become a Nickelback stand podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll just, cook something up for next episode. <laughs> standing Chad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so shall we shall we conclude the music section of of our guilty pleasures excursion? I mean, we can try. We'll probably get back to it uh, at some point. Yeah. I mean, we we'll, we'd, we wouldn't we won't be. We won't be able to help ourselves, I think. But yeah. let's let's move on. Okay. So the other the other main thing when I think of guilty pleasures for me is like movies and TV series. And I um, don't want to get too specific with like titles and names, also because I can hardly remember those. But I realized I think when I was a when I was a kid or a young teenager, and I was some on some kind of like intercontinental flight to some place i think it was like maybe on a vacation or something with my parents or with my dad um and i couldn't sleep on the on the airplane and i was watching what was i watching it was some kind of rom-com like some kind of like romantic comedy type movie and i literally watched it because i had exhausted all the other options because back in the day you didn't have you know 15 gazillion movies on an airplane when you flew far away. There were maybe like five or 10 or something. Like there wasn't a whole lot. And out of all the movies that I, you know, could select from a bunch of them I had already seen. And I remember watching this thing. I was like, oh, well, I might as well. And I watched it. And I felt super ashamed that I felt all the emotions that the people that like kind of chemically engineered this movie to make you feel on that stupid airplane so I was like super bummed when like the relationship didn't work out and I was super happy when it ended up working out and I was laughing very hard and like the funny bits and like the cringy and like when he finally when he finally caught up to her uh, to her on the train station uh, right? at the airport like bashing through security <laughs> airport, like, right, yeah. and like there's like obviously it was raining in the terminal and like everybody was you know was was very 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 much approving of the heteronormative white couple with amazing jawlines and <laughs> so uh, par- oh, par- no. pardon me for Damn. my tangent um, <laughs> shots fired shots fired <laughs> we have a Hemsworth down um, no um, so <laughs> e- either way how um, could, how could they ever persevere. Yeah, all the odds they? were stacked against them. Ah, yes, yes, they had they had no chance. Um, either <laughs> either either way, I I found myself in, enjoying. Uh, essentially, I just want to say I enjoyed stuff that I didn't want to enjoy, and that has kind of persisted over the years. Like I don't actively go out watch watching those movies, but every now and then, especially when it comes to, for example, like some some. They're, they're like there's Asian movies that do this really well uh, in like within the context of like social commentary as well, and I get a lot of pleasure from these. Um, and there's there's sometimes like series that are more based around like relationships of people and stuff, and that don't really have anything other than you know the dialogue and the relationships between the people. And that's something that I still like. Even talking about it now makes me semi uncomfortable. Like it's not something that I would want others to necessarily know about me that I 
that I take pleasure from these things, but because it makes me uncomfortable and I think there's no reason for me to be uncomfortable in liking those things, that's exactly why I think I want to put it out that I enjoy this type of stuff sometimes. And something that I noticed about myself as well over the past year is I really like, you know, I like sad stories, for example, um, or like sad music. <laughs> there we are, back back to music. Um, and I spend a great deal um, of time thinking about why that is. Um, for example, last year there was a movie released called um, The Song of Names. Um, and it's a movie about, um, about the Second World War, um, about a British family that takes in... Um, a Polish musician, like a young boy, who is kind of like a musical prodigy. He's a violinist during the time of the Nazi invasion of Poland or like right before, essentially. So that kid becomes essentially a new member of that family with a who has a boy of the same age. And they grow up together during the war. And this violinist kid from Poland becomes kind of like this this local star in London and has like a really, you know, um how do you say this? Uh like he has he has a he has a career path essentially lined up for him where he's going to become like the next big thing in classical music. And then on the night of his first concert, he disappears and never shows up again. And the family who took him in goes bankrupt. And the father dies essentially of a broken heart because the boy's gone and everything goes to shit. And fast forward like 30 years, the guy, the, the boy, the other boy in the family sets out to find him and he manages to find him in um, in New York City where he's now living as an Orthodox Jew. Um, and they kind of go into this conflict and like they eventually resolve it and he explains his reasons. And it's all terribly sad because um, he lost his family in a, in a concentration camp, the, the musician. And he had kind of explains all his reasons. And I just found myself being super touched by that to the point where I was literally sitting here and I was crying. And I was like, why am I crying? I have no connection to this. This is objectively sad, yes, but why is it touching me so hard? Um... And what I found is that whenever I watch something like this, it kind of provides me with, how do I say that? When I watch something that's really sad, it kind of gives me a release to my own things that I'm sad about. And I didn't realize I I needed to vent about. Does that make sense? I sometimes find myself in a predicament where I realize that I'm sad, but I have no real way of expressing it or relieving myself from that. And then when I watch something really sad, I can find you know something that gets that out, out of my system, even though that my sadness might be completely unrelated to that. And because I have trouble feeling these things or like addressing these emotions, I kind of gravitate towards these like sappy and sad things whenever I'm not feeling great. Um, and then after that, I well, there's, there's a huge difference between there's a huge difference between things being sappy and being sad, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. 
I mean, uh, like, like a, a film about uh, a, fam a family being torn about, uh, apart by Nazi Germany is probably objectively sad. And it's no, that is objectively well the saddest anybody's, thing. And it's well within anybody's right to feel sad when watching that. Yeah. And that's not, that's neither sappy nor is it a guilty pleasure to me. Mm, then probably the example just doesn't work in this context. Um it's more like you could you could probably take any mon any scenario that that was a million times more mundane but f what, yeah. what what is a good example like we were the other day we were talking about Pixar movies and I think I I have this firm belief that Pixar or some yeah. Dis some Disney or Pixar movies are designed by chemical engineers to physically make you feel just oh, all absolutely. the emotions, like there's there, there's just some kind of like absolutely. there's just some kind of neuroscience science ward in in Pixar where they're just like okay, so we're gonna concoct this thing that is gonna make the audience feel that thing. Um, they're just crazy, crazy, crazy good at that. Um, and most of the time, when I watch a Pixar movie on my own, I will end up crying, and especially when it's more like something like. Um, like we were talking about Inside Out as an example. Like Inside Out made me cry like a fucking yep. baby, <laughs> straight up. Um, <laughs> and and even even admitting that I enjoy enjoy Inside Out and I enjoy the release that something like Inside Out might provide me, even that makes me feel kind of uh, icky. I don't know why. That's I think what I mean by guilty pleasure. I have trouble admitting that I derive pleasure from. Or like that 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 this is something that I, you know, occasionally need or want or, yeah, enjoy, um, but I do it like secretly on my own. Like for example, if I was watching a movie like that with a friend, I would totally bite my tongue. Like I would not allow myself to okay yeah to to feel those kind of things and just be like, yeah, this is very sad. Mm -hmm. Okay, on to the next scene. Like I would keep so keep your your guilt your guilty pleasures <laughs> your guilty pleasure is crying when you're alone, all right? <laughs> no, but like it's more like well, yes, of course it's. I think I think that's that's absolutely a guilty pleasure. No, for fuck's sake, um, no, but it's more like no. I mean, I I know what you mean. You it's indulging in in the sadness or the emotion that these these films. At times, so obviously, try to to convey, right? Yes, precisely. Like you know, and that's you know, that's what you know, that's what they're going for, and yet it still you're works. Happy to, yeah. <laughs> like there's no way around right, it. I, can, I see that. Yeah, sure. Absolutely, I I, I know what you mean, and I I, <laughs> I think it's a I I was messing around, <laughs> but I I see what what you're what you're getting at with with how that is a. Guilty pleasure. Yeah. I have to say that with um, with movies and and TV shows in general, I don't have that, and I really couldn't come up with a lot of examples or any examples actually. Yeah, because I I think I I, I watch t movies and uh, uh, TV shows in the same manner that a lot of people listen to music. Right? It's like casual, uh, almost. Really casual, right? Just okay. I cooked some dinner, throw on some movie, or watch some TV series. It's like background um, noise. 
Exactly, right? Or just to to calm down after a stressful day at work or something. You just <laughs> sit on the couch for an hour and, and watch something. Not, I don't put too much thought in it and, and do yeah. too much research, or, you know, or have a favorite director and favorite actors and all of that. Um, uh, I don't... I barely ever watch a TV series or a movie twice. So that's that's how it's why it's uh, hard to have a guilty pleasure in the first place because oh yeah I watch it if I like it I liked it if I didn't like it then I didn't like it but you know that's that's and that, then you right? move on and yeah on to the next <laughs> one exactly um um, but one thing that you said um, the Pixar thing the one movie I thought about um. Was Coco? It's also a Pixar movie, and I I think that was the only movie in the last ten years that I cried when watching it. I, <laughs> and I think obviously, I obviously because it it spoke to me in a in a different manner than than any other movie of that ilk does because it's about somebody you know making music and and you know trying to. You know, being an outsider because he makes music, that's obviously not applicable, but, you know, the the, the, centra, the central theme is making music and and trying to to navigate that with your real life. I think that's kind of the underlying tone. And uh, that spoke to me in a certain way. Also, I watched it, I think, at the height of being neck deep into trying to write my uh, bachelor thesis. So, oh, bro. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, bro! To say to say that we were yeah. in vulnerable um, states back then would be an understatement. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I, I I don't feel guilty about it. I think it's those those movies are objectively good, right? They're okay to good. They're not. There's nothing bad about these movies. Yeah. I watched I watch a Disney or Pixar movie every every now and then with my girlfriend. And some of these movies are they like they are aggressively average. I think um, I we watched um, what's the one Raya a couple of weeks ago. This was the most aggressively average movie I've ever seen. I think it's like it looks great, but everything else is it's okay. The characters are okay. The story is okay. Uh, the dialogue, the dialogue is <laughs> okay at best, right? Um, but they're—that's they, what they are. They are—they are, they are, okay. <laughs> are okay, right? They are for uh, children and their parents, right? So I don't really feel guilty about enjoying my t- my hour and a half while while watching these movies, right? Here's an interesting, an interesting question or thought that came to mind because I don't go to the cinema a lot of the times like I can probably count the amount of times where I went to the cinema on one hand in the past five years um, would you go and see a movie like Coco in the cinema and cry in the cinema because I know I wouldn't I would watch it but I would keep all the emotions bottled up I could not cry in a cinema packed with people I couldn't do it I don't know I don't go to the cinema that often and I yeah. don't cry during movies that often. So that is a highly uh, hypothetical, um, you know, scenario. 
I, I can't answer that. Yeah, that's uh, that's Maybe something think that, about you, own, that think. You, you only know that you only know that once it happens to you, right? Yeah. I don't think I have ever cried in the in the in the movie theater, but then I also haven't watched too many sad movies in the movie theater. Right, right. Like from I know from experience that because I'm you know. I'm built close to the water, as one might say. And I know from my That's experience... Different. <laughs> my body different. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thanks. Um, no, but I know from experience that there's tons of occasions where I, I genuinely feel very sad in, in those types of scenarios. And I'm just like, you know, I'm, I, I, I just swallow the sadness. I'm just like, nope, nope, not here, not now. <laughs> Um, and the whole Coco thing, by the way, I just wanted to agree. Like Coco is aggressively relatable in a way. Um, and the whole spiel about yeah. like Pixar, I, I think it's interesting that you that you brought that that particular movie up. That whole thing about that movie being really sad and the idea of like a chemical engineer that stems from a blogger that I watch and like or have liked for the past, I don't know, 10 years who actually attended the premiere of Coco and he was like, yeah, that movie was fucking chemically engineered <laughs> to make people cry <laughs> Yeah. Um, in his review. So I, that, I didn't come up with that myself. I just found it to be a super poignant description of that scenario. That's why I used it. Shout out to, to Chris Bingham. <laughs> In terms of in terms of my, but I think this is my. Yeah, sorry, go for it. Uh, I just wanted to say that um, the whole Disney Pixar thing, um, in terms of guilty pleasures, we delved into a little bit right uh, right now, I guess. Um, I, I think there's you know liking Disney as an as an adult without without kids, right? It's you know that there's. Uh, I don't want to call it weird, but right, you. Um, I feel like we've just we've just we've just tapped into the first guilty pleasure, liking Disney without having kids. But I don't do that. I right. mean, I don't like th- that's what you know. Um, I think. Okay, I want to say it. I want to put it like that. Um, every time I watch a Disney movie, especially of the newer ones, mm-hmm. I feel a little guilty. I would say. Not because of liking it, just because of watching it, right? Um, because I think there's a multitude of um, reasons. Because first of all, it's I feel like it's not made for me, right? Mm. Say, uh, you know, a, a person in his late twenties without kids, um, and then because of just the, the company that that Disney is, right, and the empire that that they are, that always feels kind of you know making a deal with the devil kind of or just consuming some synthesized uh uh I don't know you know what I'm you know what I, I mean I kind of think I know what you mean cuz Disney as a company isn't unproblematic in some way but in terms of you know the whole media landscape pretty much nothing you can consume is unproblematic like if you watch any Quentin Tarantino movie, there's a big fucking Weinstein Company logo at the beginning. Um, most of your favorite films were probably produced under terrible circumstances. So, well, I mean, sure, yeah, I get that. I think, but I, I think with with Disney, it's it's. Um, 
it's not even like the problem, the, the Twitter type of problematic, right? Like uh, on the verge of being canceled kind of stuff. It's like, that, that's not what I'm talking about. Mm. I mean, that's quite the opposite. Disney is obviously interested in, in being inclusive and being this and that and right. Um, and re representing everybody, which is, I mean, you can't fault them for that. That's, something that they arguably do very well and, and pay more attention to than any other company, I, I guess. If it's sincere or not is an, a wholly different question, but it's undeniable. But I think more like just the how big they are and how, how many intellectual properties they, they just gobbled up in the last two decades or something. I think that is the, the thing that that kind of rubs me the wrong way. And that is something that I just don't, that I don't want to contribute to. I think that's the way to, to put it, right? EA is the Disney of video games. I think I've understood your, your analogy. That's not even close. That's not even close. I think, I think it makes sense. I mean, like EA just swallowed Bethesda, which is fucking huge. Uh, hey guys, uh, Tim here. I was just sitting here editing this thing and, and just realized what Alex said. He said that um, EA bought Bethesda, which is not true at all. Microsoft bought Bethesda. Just so you know, just so you don't go out there and uh, embarrass yourself with, with some wrong information that we gave you. Because if this podcast is about anything, then it is about holding ourselves accountable and be always being 100% right about everything. You know, just thought that I wanted to let you know. Um, let's get on with the rest of the episode. I was thinking like Disney and Star Wars, for example, like Disney buying up the entire Star Wars franchise. The fact that Kylo Ren is exactly. now a Disney character. Na I mean... Name the two biggest uh, movie franchises of the last th three or four decades. It's Star Wars and it's Marvel, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. They both belong to Disney. I was gonna, I was gonna actually gonna say Star Wars and the Lord of the Rings, but you're correct about Marvel, obviously. So <laughs> I would say it's a trifecta between these three. But yes, you are right. I didn't realize Marvel was also Disney. I'm gonna be honest here. I didn't realize that. That's that's the point. There's so many things that I that you don't really realize is Disney, right? Um, wow, that's a fucking tangent, though. But I mean, that's <laughs> is it though? I mean, I again, that's kind of it, I that's something that I feel guilty about in to a certain degree, right? Um, but you still derive pleasure but from then it. Again, yeah. it's just I guess, right? Yeah, that's what I, you know. It's easy to uh, on a Sunday afternoon just put on a Disney movie uh, on on the TV and and have dinner with your girlfriend, right? It's it's non-offensive, easy entertainment, and there's obviously some pleasure in there. That's some good old-fashioned family again, fun, again, right there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No, but I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Um, um, and then I, the, the, what I was actually trying to get at is uh, Disney songs, right? Because that is a, obviously a huge part of um, of a lot of uh, Disney movies. Yeah. A lot of them are borderline musicals, right? 
or they draw a lot of influences from from musicals yeah. and then opera even right and i mean for once uh, for one watching some of the movies every now and then and for the other side is that uh, when i'm in the car with my girlfriend the uh, you know one of the only things that she agrees on listening is uh, the, the the disney playlist on spotify um so i <laughs> i listen to a lot of disney songs Let in it the go. last cup exactly in the last couple of years right um so I want to say that there are some bangers on there. I just can't deny that. And I we tr I we tried putting this uh, in here the best Disney songs and and that's as as uh, some kind of guilty pleasure but I I said that I need to do more, more research on that. <laughs> so that's definitely coming in one one of the next episodes, you know, the the best and maybe even the worst Disney songs Be hyped. Um, ever. Um Yeah, but I mean, I think Disney songs really, really, that's something that I wouldn't put on with anybody else but my girlfriend. The Disney playlist, no thank yeah, you. Yeah, that feels that feels strangely intimate, but it's also a good thing to share with your significant other, I think. I feel like that's a good, that's a that's good not, thing to I mean, that's agree not, on. It might be, but it's not the reason for why no, it's I'm happening. No, say, I'm not saying it is, but I think it's still a good thing to share with your significant other. I think that's cool. I, I guess, yeah. Sure. I think I, I, I know I, I get what you what you I mean. think we should come to to a conclusion with this, or at least we should conclude this because I with the movie thing or the movie um guilty pleasure thing proved to be a bit more nuanced to me. And I think I haven't really like with, with music with the music aspect of things I have kind of figured out why I gravitate towards certain things and why I don't like admitting that I like them. With movies and um, TV series, I think because of something that you put out there, which is that you l watch those things, or you watch series and movies in a very different way than I do because I frequently rewatch things that I enjoy or I pay a lot more like close attention to mm -hmm. new stuff and I have a shit ton of opinions about these things and they make me feel a lot of things and um, especially like if they made me feel a lot of things I come back to them to kind of revisit that feeling um, maybe that's a bit more nuanced so I, I haven't fully made my mind up about these things yet what I know is that I similarly to the identity part of music that you spoke about I enjoy certain things that I perceive are you know not intended for me or made for me or that is sort of, you know, not manly to like or, um, you know, however you want to put it. So I guess toxic masculinity, again, huge, huge part of that equation, I think, at least for me, which I never thought, you know, would be applicable to me, but spoiler, it is <laughs> probably to everyone to a certain degree. Um, I guess I found my, uh, my kind of, my kind of kryptonite, Oh, that's another good guilty pleasure song, Kryptonite by Three Doors Down. Um, yeah, so maybe let's 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 move on from that for a while. I'll I'll put a pin in that and spend some more time thinking about that on my daily train rides to work. Um, and unless you have something to add, sh shall we conclude this segment? 
Um, I mean, if you don't have any guilty pleasures outside of music and and television or or movies, sure, it's all about consumption with me. Oh, yeah. I, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's something that I, that's one example that I that I thought of, you know, um, yesterday basically when when I tried to come up with some examples again, um, and that is meat. Uh, time to get a little more serious. Oh, then. Uh, that is something that I think that's something that really fits the the, def the definition. Where I really don't want to <laughs> like it, but I do, right? And that's something that I really try to get away from, but I can't. Um, I mean, uh, I think we're uh, my girlfriend and I are at the point where when we cook. We almost never cook with meat. Maybe I don't know every two or three weeks. But um, when when we order food or when we are out eating or when I'm at the you know at my job and then go to the to the shop there, then I eat a meat quite often still. Um, and yeah, I think. And that's a tough one for me because obviously, I mean, I would love to be a vegetarian or vegan or whatever. I mean, there's it's inarguably a better way to live your life, I, I'd say. Um, but oh, it takes it takes a lot of effort, right? That you are not um, not always willing to. Uh, to put in and it also, you know, it also tastes good and it's something that you maybe don't always want to to miss out on, right? And I obviously know that it, the situation is a com is completely different for you. Um, so you, I mean, you can, you, you can uh, give a little bit of your perspective on it, I guess. First of all, uh, we, you and I, we're, we're in the same boat, essentially. I... Almost at no point in the past few months have consciously decided that, you know, I want to buy, you know, like processed meat products or something. I had a phase over the past few months where I ate a lot of meat because I was in a very extensive workout phase where I needed certain amounts of protein that I wasn't getting otherwise um, where I was also trying to lose weight so I mm -hmm. had to be in a calorie deficit and still have a lot of protein um, which kind of ruled out certain certain vegetarian alternatives a bit such as lentils and stuff which I would have preferred mm -hmm. um, but other than that if I think about the last since I since I started working essentially I have not cooked meat by myself once and that's two months now. Um, so, oh, okay. so essentially I, and that's something that I've been consciously making an effort to for the past year or so, I've increasingly lost interest in meat because of, you know, the whole, you know, environmental and ethical spiel around it. So I've, whenever I stand in front of, you know, a salami that looks really tasty and I just, I just get myself to not buy it. And it's just been this like really slow step-by-step -step process where at first yeah. I reduced my consumption and then eventually I just bought cheese 
for you know having breakfast and then it it you know it just at some point it turned from me being tempted to buy certain things to just walking past that alley in the supermarket and just being bewildered at by you know how much meat there was and how it all kind of like at the same time feels mm. the same and i just had no desire to like play into that machine anymore so it's become like 90% of my diet i would say is vegetarian i still eat cheese i still eat like milk products occasionally okay. but oh, yeah. we we're, 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 we're in the same in the same boat i would think now what you're hinting at is obviously my celiac disease and that's a you know that there's there's two sides to that medal on the one hand there is a legitimate argument that i make where i'm like okay if i were to go vegan like i i would not be able to you know have a diet because a lot of the vegan products rely on cereal products and i just couldn't like i i wouldn't i don't think i would be able to live a healthy life and also like you said meat occasionally tastes great and i think there is such a thing as you know selective and ethical consumption especially like when you eat out and when you're supporting a restaurant or something where you have an understanding of where the product comes from or when you buy from your local butcher um where it's not you know bottom shelf you know, borderline or not borderline animal cruelty, you know, produce. Um, so these are things that I fully support and that I do too. For example, it was my dad's birthday last weekend and we put stuff on the grill, a good, like a really nice slice of beef that he bought from a good place. Um, and that was great. I enjoyed the heck out of that. Um, but that's not, so it's not something that I would necessarily do for myself. That is something like, that I have maybe like on an occasion or like a celebratory yeah. event or something. Um, the other side is that I, uh, like while it's a real problem to cut my diet back further when I'm already fairly limited, not fairly limited because I can like eat most vegetables or all vegetables essentially and all meats. But if I were to cut meat completely from my diet, I think I would be starting to honestly lack something. Um so I guess oh, absolutely. That, that, that's what you're hinting at because I don't like, for example, I, I don't eat fish. Oh, I yeah. don't eat fish at all. I like fish, but I do not agree with how fish is sourced. Um, and I've not agreed with it for mm. forever since like I can think. So I would never go out and buy myself a piece of like salmon that costs like three bucks or half a kilo of salmon for, I don't know, five euros or something. Like that's just, there's no way that that's ethical. There's no way that not some kind of industrial grade ship has fucked up a coral reef for that. Like obviously not an actual coral reef because salmon and coral reef don't mix. Yes, I get it. Thank you. But <laughs> um, what I'm saying is um, the the ethical, there, there's a difference to me in you know destroying the natural habitat of fish and even the industrial production of meat because one can be downscaled and you know can be reduced whereas the damage that is like done with um with these like I don't know the word in English like these huge nets that are hauled over the ground in the ocean um that can hardly be reversed um and so I don't eat fish I occasionally eat meat because I only eat it when I have a legitimate appetite for it. And that doesn't happen very often anymore because I've cut it so much from my diet. Um, it would be hard though, to answer your question. I think it would be hard having celiac disease and having, you know, technically being also like lactose intolerant um, 
and then cutting another large staple from your diet that would that would suck <laughs> um i think with meat it's uh what you described i i noticed that with a lot of things when when you know getting the groceries or just going shopping it's i think uh, for me at least it's much more easy much easier to uh be disciplined in the supermarket right yeah um just not buying junk food in the supermarket or you know snacks and and candy and and stuff because once you buy it and it's in your home it's pretty easy to to you know get dive into the the candy draw right mm. um but if you but i that's it's much more easy to not um to not buy it in the first place for me the problem comes with you know ordering food or going out to eat because then it's right there right and then it's uh then you have like 90% meat options and 10% half-assed uh vegetarian options in a lot of places mm. and then it's then it's much harder to be disciplined and it's like no I'm I'm going to go with the f- fries with ketchup <laughs> I I I I have this policy for example when I on like on the rare occasion where I go out to eat um and that's something that I want to say I think is is bullshit in my opinion like you you're obviously like f- free to completely disagree with me on that but I think what I don't get is when people go out to eat and they get something like they they eat something that they could either really easily make at home or probably could make better at home. Like when I go out, to oh, yeah. eat, I want to get something that I wouldn't want to go through like making the effort for myself. And Absolutely. that, for example, can mean that I have some professional cook me a really fucking good steak. Um, because yeah, that's something exactly. that I'm not very good at, that I don't take the time to like master and I don't want to do it over and over. And like I don't want to have my kitchen smell like beef for two days. Um, so that's something that I get. I would... That that's why I have less of a you know guilty conscience when I go out to a restaurant and I eat meat, um, and sometimes I specifically go to a place. That's to a eat good meat. point. That's I, it's yeah. That's uh, the, the the thing about right. Um, if if you eat meat then for once, then it's then it's you know you really cherish it and it's really properly done and it's worth it, right? Yeah. In a way. I think I've I've successfully talked about. The things that I would consider guilty pleasures, which are which are both mostly, um, yeah, which are mostly pop culture based. I think I wouldn't probably have thought of um, things such as such as meat eating, if I'm honest. Well, because I mean, the term guilty pleasure is kind of derived from. Pop, for from media, right? It's yeah, not really used for for more serious uh, issues, isn't it? I agree. Or is it? I think it's. I think it's. Li- it's a lot more lighthearted than what 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 the whole meat eating debate, you know. Yeah, absolutely, sure. But it's some, just something that that uh, that I thought about, and I thought that fit the bill. It does. It certainly does. Mostly, yeah. But it's nice to be back. You know, as per usual, it's always fun to to have. It's always fun to have you here. Um, 
And again, the whole thing, you know, if you like what we're doing here, hit us Come up say hi. via mail, via Instagram, write a review on whatever uh, player you're using, especially if you're using Apple Podcasts, I guess. Um, tell a friend to tell a friend, tell your parents, tell your siblings. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to talking to you next week. See ya. See ya.